I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Zenni's Blocks lenses help to protect the eyes by keeping harmful blue light out. Because they're virtually clear, add blocks to any Zenni frame for stylish, all-day protection. Get a complete pair of prescription or non-prescription blocks glasses starting at just $24. Protect your eyes now at Zenni.com. When do you do the bit that's before the music? <laughs> I guess bong, it's happening. Bong, 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 bong. <laughs> before the music, a no-encore documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some weeks we just don't. Some weeks we forget about it. But I mean, I guess I, I, we, we could talk about Arsenal if you want to talk about Arsenal. You're on right now, of course. <laughs> he looks like a man that does not want to talk about why don't Arsenal. You predict, why don't you predict the score now? And then when this episode comes out on Friday morning, you'll either be proven right or it'll be a complete disaster. Okay, here's what's going to happen. Eddie and Katty is going to get the first goal. And it's going to look promising, as it always does. And then six... Shane Long goals. He's going to be the first player in Premier League history to score a double hat trick. Yeah, okay. I think we can probably uh, realize that that will not be happening. But we shall <laughs> see. Shane Long scored we'll six goals in his entire career. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he's Shane. on a hot streak. Craig. I know he's the listener. He's on a hot streak. Um, it's all good. Um, okay, Friend so are, you are we ready to, some, uh, to come? By the way, in? I've got some breaking hosier news. If you want it, yeah, go on. The poll is in. The results of his. Um, his famous poll from this week are in. Uh, I'll just read it out, Dave. So we're all well, hang hanging on the poll. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't know what the poll is. We're, we're all hanging on the results of this. So Hosier, mm. Andrew Hosier Byrne put up a tweet yesterday saying, "Was thinking whether it'd be nice to do a series on IG or some such once a week, like a reading of some kind, while I step back from Twitter to work on the album. If I was to swing it." <laughs> what would you What would you like read to you? And the four options were. Poetry, short story slash classics, novel, chapter by chapter, and Chomsky. <laughs> I know I cast my vote for Chomsky. <laughs> Dave, what did you go for? I went for Chomsky as well, yeah, of course. Okay. Which was on um, like 8% when I clicked it. Mr. Topley, what would you have gone for? Uh, he's blocked me, so I wasn't. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Is he actually- chapter by chapter. Hold on. Chapter by chapter novel. Yeah. Is that one of them? Yeah. I would like um, 
Hosier to read me the uh, Big Sam autobiography. That would be good. <laughs> that would be phenomenal. Perfect, yeah. Well, sadly, there's no chance of that because it's poetry with 39%, of course. I don't know, Craig. Of it course, could fall yeah. into Big Sam's. That's my autobiography true, could fall he into does, the. It does have a way with words and point glasses of wine. Hang on, by the way. Chomsky Sorry, came quick. last, by the way, with 7%. The fact that he was like, if I can swing this, it's like, I know, it's like fucking that. Instagram. What are you talking about? Like, like it, how is this a, like a barrier for you? Also, do you remember the time on Twitter? Like, I know everyone loves Hozier. He's woke. He's great. We all love him. Blah, 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 blah. Do you remember years ago when he was like, hey, lads, you know what's sexy? Consent. And everyone was like, no, Hozier, no, <laughs> this is really bad. And then he like apologized and everyone was like, it's okay, Forest King. We forgive you. And it was just like, for fuck's sake. Man. It came from a good place. The forest. Um, yeah, of course. Anyway, look, let's just start the show. Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 219 of the No Encore Music Podcast. I am joined by Craig Fitzpatrick. Hello, how are things? Not bad, man. We're joined this week by returning guest of the show, David Tapley of Tandem Felix. Ep 219. Craig gets it. <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, loving a bit of Dan action. Straight in. Are we just, is this like dedicated to Steely Dan this episode, Dave? No, no, it isn't. No, it's, it's dedicated to Bob Dylan. I was told. It's about Bob Dylan. That's why Fine. I got him on. Fine. For Dylan, Dylan for Dylan, I will and stand I to, down. I get to hide in the background and be like, let's talk about Bob Dylan, aka let's have a more educated David on the subject than me do so. So <laughs> very fair. Yeah, Tappy, it's been a while, man. How's um how's all this coronavirus treating you as an independent musician? You all good? Um it's treating me fine in terms of my physical health, although I've put on a few pounds from all the sourdough I've been eating and all the walking and cycling I haven't been doing. Um, we have, in, in terms of music things, we've lost a couple of gigs, um, but, you know, could be worse. 2021 will reappraise all of that sort of stuff, but for the time being, I'm just going to sit around and eat crisps and burgers. Nice. Is there so going to be like noted. a quarantine-themed <laughs> album? I, I no, I don't think sideways so. Sideways look at the lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, at the first maybe two weeks of lockdown, I was, uh, yeah, I was way more motivated to try and get things going, Yeah, setting up all the equipment, studio gear and stuff. But I think this is the first time the microphone has actually been out and on a stand <laughs> since, honor. since that, uh, that one <laughs> song I recorded. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I've been warning people off the idea of making quarantine records, but a laconic look at lockdown might not be the worst thing yeah, of all that's time. But of course, your skills are here today for a different reason. You uh, yeah. basically told us that you wanted to do this. You wanted to help us review the Bob Dylan album. Why did mm-hmm. you want to do that, man? What's the story? Um, Well, I'm going to be honest here. I wanted to make you listen to it more than I actually wanted to speak to it. Um, It was one of the one of the, the leading um, influences in my mind to making this decision to force you to let me be on the podcast. And uh, I prepped you. I sent you a record two weeks ago to listen to, which I think you liked, and uh, uh, the 1997 album 
Time Out of Mind, which is a Steely Dan reference, Craig. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I just want to be here to hear your reaction to it firsthand rather than having to wait till Friday morning uh, to listen to it. Like All I right, usually well, have to. It's going to be it's going to be a bit of pressure. Uh, elsewhere in the show, we will be going through our top fives this week. Toppy has his own, of course, so it's going to be an extended section. And I guess it's fitting because we're doing long songs. And we'll talk about what kind of went into that later on and how we got to the criteria that we got to. But it's long songs, 10 minutes or more later in the show. Um, uh, yeah, also, of course, as, uh, as we say every week, No Encore is on Patreon. If you want to help support the show, it's patreon.com slash no encore. We would greatly appreciate it. And uh, I'll jump straight into the news this week because the biggest kind of story, I suppose, in Irish music this week kind of broke midweek when Linda Coogan-Byrne and Independent Pure uh, put out a report on gender disparity in Irish radio, noting that female musicians make up a tiny fraction of the most played music on Irish radio. Um, it's quite damning statistics. Uh, before we get into kind of the main focus on this in this episode, because I had the chance during the week to catch up with Anya Turrell, who worked on the report along with Linda and others. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard for us to say more than just echo this, the sentiments. But of course, Craig and Tapley, you, you've both seen this report, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, when you you alerted me to the kind of existence of the report and just like the issue around it, of course, is well known. And I thought, okay, what's the development here? It's, you know, we all agree it's a dire state of affairs. I clicked into the report and saw some of the figures and I was just, my mind was blown. It's really damning. Um, It was a great approach where it's just like, of course, um, female artists and females in the industry have been speaking out about it. If you get the hard numbers down, though, it's kind of, it's tough to ignore. Yeah, also, sorry, by the way, can I just say, I love the idea of me alerting you to the report, like I'm <laughs> running into a phone box or something, and <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> slamming in the numbers, and I'm just yeah, like, Yeah, gotta read no, this! Craig, you have to read this, Craig, you have to read this now. Yeah, it is pretty upsetting to see, um, and to read these damning figures, as we're saying. Um, it's, the, the, the focus that I think, hopefully, people will take from this is that it's, I think it is both the cause and the symptom of uh, the wider problem. I mean, every summer people will look at the, the festival lineups and, you know, the thing that often floats around on Twitter that someone will take the Coachella poster and remove every single male performer and it's left completely bare because there's so few women performers um, at most festivals these days. Um, and I think the two things are related I don't think one. Uh, I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all. With radio play comes traction, and with traction comes the offer of festival slots and and uh, furthering one's career. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's another symptom of a, a greater cause of of a, a gender gap in in this crooked industry that we already know is crooked as it is crooked industry i like it i, I feel like you know mm. like it almost sounds like a like, like a bob dylan line but for now as i say i had the chance to speak with anya tyrell i actually i must apologize in advance here i could be wrong but i think i called her tyrell when i first talked to her and it's like i, I in my defense right i've been game so influenced by <laughs> pop culture game of thrones blade runner and oh, of course uh, yeah, Mr. Yeah, yeah and mr robot as well like like tyrell I watched like, so I, I i'm i'm Oh, Mr. Robot's great, man. You should totally watch it. But for now, we should all totally listen to my interview with Anya, which was really, really illuminating. And here it is.
So the Irish Examiner on Wednesday morning published an article about gender disparity on Irish radio taken from an overall report. It notes that female musicians make up a tiny fraction of the most played music on Irish radio, with industry figures claiming that the disparity between female and male acts is getting worse. The report is based on data provided by Radio Monitor, a paid-for service used by record labels, management companies and PR agencies to evaluate the airtime allocated to musicians, covering the period of the 1st of June 2019 to the 1st of June 2020, and it was made up of an independent team, of which Anya Tyrell joins me now. How are you, Anya? How are you today? Not so bad. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for taking good, the time think... to talk to us. Ah, oh, listen, it's it's clearly a very important issue. I think like a lot of people, I mean, look, if we're being brutally honest, we all knew it was bad, but these statistics are damning to say the least. So I guess for anyone who is kind of blissfully unaware of all of this, can you give us some background and also, you know, crucially your your take on, on, on how it is now and how we can do better? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I, I'm a female uh, Irish musician. I make my living abroad. I'm in Australia, talking to you from Australia at the moment. And that just goes to show, um, you know, personally, I had to make a move over here to keep making my art. So, um, and and every time I've come home to tour, it is really hard. It is really hard as a female musician to get radio airplay. I I mean, myself personally, RTE1 has been the only one that's really supported me and they've supported me amazingly. And when you look at the data, it matches up, you know, <laughs> they're, they're the only station that that has a 50-50 uh, gender equality on, on their playlisting. Um, and uh, I mean, when Linda came to me, I, I've worked with Linda as my publicist over there and, and she's seen a lot of the movements I've been involved in and, and speaking about things here in Australia, the same, um, just around gender equality in the music in, in not only radio, but on festival lineups and, um, all over the place. And, uh, so when she sent me the statistics, I just was like, I knew it was bad, but even myself, even, <laughs> even myself had no idea that it was that that bad and I think you know uh, it's just a really honest report it's just fact I mean I think we've been speaking about it lots of female Irish musicians have been speaking about it for years and and women in the industry and other parts of the music industry and entertainment industry but we've come at it from our feelings and and our experiences and a lot of that time that that's been discredited or sent to the side because there's you know varying factors and all the things people can put on it but when you see the facts and the figures laid out like this where there are radio stations with you know on average about 10 percent female in the top in the top 20 playlisted songs for an entire year it's really hard it's really hard to look at those statistics and not think all right it's time to do something about this so yes that's how I got involved completely yeah I mean I guess like I mean like one kind of aspect that jumps out in the report is that you know the most played male acts which are cited as picture this Dermot Kennedy and Niall Horan all amass more than 30,000 plays on radio with picture this surpassing 40,000 Soleil who is the most played Irish female act had just over 8,000 by comparison Mm. while Amy the second most played had 5,867 so I mean it's interesting because I mean I think a lot of us don't really know what goes into the makeup of what gets played on the radio I think some people think that the DJs are responsible when in an awful lot of cases it's programmers at the very top of the stations. Uh, I wonder how this is being received today. Have you like had any kind of interaction thus far from radio people? I know the report has only had a couple of errors as of me speaking mm. with you, but I would assume that people are like hopefully like beating down your door for <laughs> not just to come on shows like mine, of course, but also to be like, okay, look, listen, how do we how do we fix this? It's clearly clearly a massive issue. Um 
I I mean I I think it's a it's a hard issue to bring up because you have people I mean you get the responses that well you know women should write, write better songs we've gotten that you know <laughs> or that um you know playlists are based on merit which is the same thing that you get with festival lineups a lot um and I think you have to look at the systems and the structures that are making these decisions and are they our tastes you know, are we being told what our taste is, you know, as a public, when we, when we like a song, when we hear it that many times and we think it's amazing. Um, and, and there's no offense to those male artists. I mean, there's some incredible talent in Ireland. All we're saying with this report is we just need to make some room for it. Like there's such a wealth of, um, Irish female talent all around the globe. And, and I do have to say a lot of women. I know personally are making their livings outside of Ireland because of this, you know, and when you look at this report, you, you, you have to, you have to start looking at the structures that are in place. So it's not just the radio DJs. Listen, there are some incredibly supportive radio DJs on all those stations that are mentioned, but how is the playlisting done? How are the decisions being made? And, you know, when we talked to RTE and we said, you know, congratulations, really, that it's 50-50 and, and their process is that they actually sit down and when they're playlisting, they look at the diversity of their playlists. And, and that's how they've come to the statistics they've come to. So, you know, we've had a few other radio DJs say, yep, this is an issue. What can we do? And we're basically just saying, make a commitment to, to to look at how your playlists are done, make a commitment to include those that have been excluded or or muted or, you know, not given a fair a fair shot. Because, you know, it's not just the radio, because what gets done on the radio then is what gets put on the festivals and, and what gets perhaps the attention of major labels or, you know, that the, it, this is just a tiny bit of a huge structure that um that has gender disparity all over it and and I feel once we talk about gender disparity then we can talk about all the other minority groups that are being excluded from our national voice and it's important that we you know how many songs have been lost how many amazing songs have we not heard like from from all these minority groups that aren't getting that aren't getting a go on our on our airwaves yeah so let's say someone listening to this now is like, okay, look, listen, I'm guilty of perhaps having a, like, even if I did like the Spotify thing, I'm sure it'd be much more skewed towards men. And listen, for me, it would be as well. I mean, like, like I'm definitely guilty of this too. I know I am. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, what practical things can people do who aren't in a position to be like running a radio station yeah. um, is it simply a case of just like working harder to find more music like whether it's whether Spotify is your go-to or whatever like what can we do on it like like on a basic level to show more support and essentially just kind of get behind this I mean yeah that's amazing I know at the end of the report we've given a list of about 40 Irish female acts that everyone can check out and I think it's also holding um you know, those musicians that you think are amazing and are amazing and have the opportunities to give support acts, you know, just message them, tweet them, say, you know, how about you give a support act to some of these females or some of those radio stations when they ask for requests or when they're asking for, you know, your top choice of 2020 or something, you know, think beyond the, the you know, think beyond what is being just 
given to us, you know, <laughs> and start, I suppose, I mean, it's the same with everything, you know, we, we, I think this COVID time has made us all have to look at our own, you know, inner biases on everything, whether it's, you know, making commitments to look at our own racism and figuring out how we can work better to, towards an anti-racist society. Um, and, and this is just another place where there's a bias where we can all look at, you know, where we make our music choices, who we choose to support, you know, um, find some of these women, buy their albums, support them on Patreon, support them, you know, in other places so that they can keep making their art, I suppose is really important because I, you know, I left music for years because of this and it wasn't until I got to Australia and found a really supportive group of women making music that I started playing again. And I'm really thankful that I had that opportunity. And I, I do grieve for the women that we've lost along the way that haven't had that and have found the whole industry unsafe and unsupportive. And um, yeah, and I don't want to see, you know, I don't want any more, <laughs> any more of that. I, 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 I think we can do better. Like we can all demand better of of our festivals, you know, of our radios, of our um, support acts that are being given. Um, you know, we, we can all we can all do a little part in helping that. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's I guess it's an interesting time as well for the, for this to come about because obviously, I think it was last Friday or so, um, the Dreams cover came out, which of course highlights uh, a Amazing. huge range of Irish women, and it's done really really well. Like, I mean, it's been incredible. Uh, it's it's got an international attention. It's supporting like a, a a very important charity. It does highlight and showcase an awful lot of Irish women. At the same time, though, are we in danger maybe of being like, oh, we've done that now? Like you know, like like we've taken that yeah, box. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Like it's it's like it's it's it, that can't just be a token gesture, right? No, no, this is a systemic problem, and it's been you know it's been years uncovering. But sure, you know the conversation over. Um, female reproductive rights only happened two years ago. So this is, you know, this is just like little steps that are just like continuing to have to happen for Ireland. And this is just the next conversation. And, and I think, you know, I mean, I genuinely think people are just unaware of the bias in radio, in, um, labels, in festival lineups. It's just not a, I mean, I know here, working in the music industry here, if a festival lineup comes out with, you know, even uh, 60, 70% male, they, they'll get slammed. They, you know, the, and, and people as a collective, you know, not just musicians, but like people as a collective are aware of it now. And so they're like, oh, that, that's not okay, you know, and they'll call that out. And it's, it's kind of blown my mind that watching Ireland, you know, with festival lineup announcements or, um, or radio airplay or, or whatever it is that it's just not, it wasn't, it hasn't been on the conscious yet. You know, people have been speaking about it, but I think it's taken a report like this where the facts are so clear. There's no emotion in it. There's no, you know, we're just, uh, you know, what Linda has, has gathered is like just really evidence based, you know, that there's, there's a massive exclusion going on here. And, you know, we, we we need to we need to look at that because there there's not a shortage of talent you know that that's not it and that Irish women in harmony showed that like clearly I mean there's no shortage of talent. 
The one thing also I would add, I mean, like, and again, listen, this is obviously very much a secondary point to the overall thing, but something that did jump out at me when reading it was, and it's something, you know, like, it doesn't take, like, if you listen to Irish radio, you should be able to kind of figure it out as well, but, like, it does seem like there's a, there's a, whether it's a bias or whether it's just that's the way the industry works, but, like, I, I, I kept coming back to the idea of, like, well, these are all major label acts, you know, these are all on a major label, and or if not on a major label, yes. then it's someone who has, like, a good team around them and is, has, like, a savvy team with connections, and, like, that's no bad thing, and, like, you know, of course, as an artist, like, having a team around you can only presumably benefit you um i don't know but ultimately it does seem like independent artists like there are so much more hurdles whether you're a pr or whether you're out on your own Mm. it's almost like you don't have a chance in some cases you know like like you could have the best song ever but you know gavin james is going to get played five times an hour so what are you gonna do yeah uh that that that's a huge part of it as well and then you look at you know, I, it'd be really interesting to also look at the, the gender disparity on major labels, you know, and, and who is profitable. Um, and yeah, I, I do think, you know, supporting independent musicians, we, we all want to hear the next thing or the next, you know, act to come out. Um, and I, I, it is, it, it has been an issue in Ireland for, for a long time, you know. And I mean, all over the world, that's the thing, but it's really hard to read the community radio supporting so much of the major labels as well. You know, community radio, you think would be there supporting their local, their homegrown, their, you know, their, their talent from whatever corner of, the country that they're in, you know, you kind of expect it. I don't know, over here, especially on radio in Australia, it's, you know, mainstream radio would have a lot of that, but the community radio is so focused on their independent grassroots musicians. I mean, it's how I tour and survive in the country here. And um, I, I hope that this report also shows, you know, highlights some of that to some of the radio stations, you know. And I mean, some of that is money based decisions as well. Who's able to support? And I get that, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that there has to be, I don't know. I, I have a feeling we've had this time in lockdown for, for, for all the reasons and, and the good things that we can come out of it is coming out with a new normal. You know, I don't want to go back to the music industry the way it was. I just, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to go back to it the way it was, you know, I, w- I want to see a different version of a music industry where, you know, we really seek out and look for the other voices that, that aren't accessed, um, you know, as easily. Yeah, totally. And also, sorry, just real quick on the community thing. I noticed that my uh, my, my my local Drogheda, like LMFM station, had uh, zero female oh. acts in the top 20. So good job, guys. Uh, I guess lastly, what I would say is, and like, look, not meaning to end this on a negative or anything, but like, mm. I just think that it's interesting to kind of look at the other side of it, because like, uh, what do you say to people who would have opposition to this? Because as you say, look, it's facts. You mm. can't really argue against facts, right? But of course, unfortunately, you will always have people in the fucking comments and you'll have people being like, ah, oh, no, yeah. this is just blah, 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 blah. And even like you, you talked earlier on about like you know kind of diversity as well it's the same thing you're seeing these i know never read below the line but the point is that there are people out there who do use their voice to oppose stuff like this so what is your message to to anyone who's kind of ha- bristling i suppose at, at these figures i i suppose just read it you know first of all actually read the whole thing don't don't book it off as you know just feminists on a rant again <laughs> um because we can do that too you know <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually, you know, this is fact, 
factual. It's based on um, radio monitor. It, you know, it's based on um, what is actually being played, and um, and if that still bristles you, um, I think you need to look at why why that's a little bit bristling and and what 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 feels like that you need to protect or 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 not allow to open spaces for for other voices to come in um and you know i i think just in general right now in this covid time it it, it has shown that you know we can be really polarized <laughs> but we can also really come together as a community when we need to and um uh, I think, you know, that takes listening, you know, really deep listening um, and whatever is being spoken about, whatever is being articulated, whether it's um, from the, you know, over here in Australia, it's the indigenous community or it, we, we, you have to sit and listen. You know, you can't, you can't just come back with your opinion each time. So I just say, listen to, you know, find a few of these Irish artists these few female irish artists listen to their music you know make your own call on what you think is worthy or not worthy but um listen to their experiences as well you know i know twitter has been um going off in the last few days just with irish women's experience in the industry as a whole and i think you know it, it's just time to listen to those experiences um and then you know then make your judgment. Don't bristle straight away. Listen first. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Uh, Anya, thank you so much. The report is out now. As, as, as you say, it's a hugely informative and very important read. So, I mean, like, we'll put it in our, like, like in, our, in our podcast description, we'll put it on Twitter. But, like, if you're on Twitter, even if you're not on Twitter, it isn't hard to find. It is being shared right now by an awful lot of people. So, if you haven't read it, go check it out. Anya, thank you again so much for yeah. taking the time. I would also just, sorry, just to add, you know, I, I was warned by a lot of people not to speak out about this. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's also a really telling sign of something that's going to bristle people and why that's bristling. And um, I feel slightly more able to speak out than maybe some of my Irish um, colleagues who are still living and working solely in Ireland because I have the luxury of making my living outside of Ireland and I love coming home to tour and I adore it. Um, but I also... Um, able to tour somewhere else and so I think that needs to be looked at as well like why why are there people afraid to speak out about this why are there um, warnings coming to, you know just be careful be careful <laughs> and I'm like oh be careful about what this is fact like it's not like I'm not coming at people with an opinion like his music is terrible and her music is good and that's why it should be played this is just like a real, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, I just want to add that at the end. I think that needs to be looked at is why why are our Irish women afraid in the music industry to speak out about these things right now? No, absolutely. And again, listen, thank you so much for doing so on the show. Like it's uh, like no one's career should be in jeopardy because of fucking statistics like yeah. and, and, and an <laughs> obvious imbalance. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. So no, uh, yeah, seriously, again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks again, 
Anya. Yeah, so again, there's been tons and tons of reaction to this. Like I say, I spoke to Anya on Wednesday morning when it was all kind of breaking and it hasn't slowed down since then. I would imagine you're going to see a lot more on the subject in the coming days and weeks. So something to definitely kind of take stock of and it'll be very, very interesting to see what the response is. As for other news this week, Craig... Yeah, so apparently having a podcast can be great for your music career. Um, David Tapley, you might want to take note. This could do wonders <laughs> for you this evening. Um, actually, another artist who's kind of suffered over the years from kind of, I guess, lack of exposure and just kind of being billed in the wrong places. And I think she was told by her tour manager slash maybe her mother to like give up music a couple of years ago after a, a Coachella set where it was just kind of poorly attended. Things weren't going well. Jessie Ware. Uh, she's back with a new album. It's getting great reviews. And um, apparently it's faster, sexier and naughtier. And she's putting it all down to the podcast she has with her mother. Have you heard this podcast, Dave? I haven't, uh, nor would I ever let a family member on my own podcast. I don't know about you. He referenced yours quite a bit. Yeah, I think we probably should have my sister on at some point. Um, Dave, no chance. There's a kind of a random uncle that might just pop up at some point <laughs> someone from the drug no <laughs> i'm pretty sure m- my family don't even know that i have a podcast or any semblance of a career in journalism so no you're bringing up touchy subjects here mate martha's led <laughs> on any time cool. but no no one from my side of the world that's okay well, where's podcast is table get. manners um with her mother lenny um the premise is simple they cook a meal for a celebrity guest uh, while giving them a grilling of their own, haha. But the secret ingredient is the mother-daughter dynamic. Basically, doing the podcast made her reevaluate her creativity, where she was going in life, and gave her the kind of positivity to inject a bit of kind of energy into her music. So, yeah, good for her. I'm delighted. Sorry, have you been commissioned by an advertising agency to like sex up Jesse Ware's podcast? Like, like, like what are you doing? <laughs> this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> That's Table Manners, the new podcast from Jesse Ware and her mother. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, hang on. I guess the question has to be asked. If you could cook, because Tapley's a pretty good cook from what I can tell. If you could cook for any celebrity or celebrities, who would it be? Living and or dead? I, I never understand why people ask that question. I feel, like, I feel like living is the kind of one prerequisite that you need here, right? Otherwise, it's just going to be kind of morbid. Well, it's a fantastical situation. I mean, yeah. why not open it I up mean, to the, the floor? <laughs> the floor? It's not going to happen either way, so... <laughs> At least allow me to pick, like, I don't know, can't think of any celebrities right now. Jim Morrison. Um, you can have Jim Morrison in there if you want. The Lizard King, uh, you- yeah, would absolutely love having some of my baked ziti. Um, I feel like we're shaming Jim Morrison for being fond of indulgence at this point, no? And as you all know, I'm a big fan and champion of Jimbo and his honour. <laughs> <laughs> I just think Jim Morrison is the fame is the the deadest of all the celebrities that uh, that there ever was. Um, I would say if I was to cook a meal for any uh, celebrity, it would have to be Marco Pierre White, and uh, I w- I would put in extra Nor stock cubes just so he could taste the the flavor difference, and uh, then also berate me on everything about my life and leave in a huff. Hopefully, although I do love him. Is he the chef that posed with like a dead shark whilst he was naked? Because every every time I hear that name, I think of that image and I'm not sure if it's him and I'm not sure if it was an actual photo shoot or it's just something in my head. But I think that was the thing. <laughs> it's like back in the 90s Be- when the whole edgy chef yeah. thing became a, yeah. Well, he was the first edgy chef, I think, because Gordon Ramsay was one of his protégés and uh, he was also known for being like party boy in that sort of 
London restaurant scene when it started kind of kicking off and it's, it's an amazing tv show or it may possibly a documentary if you can uh, if you can dig it up but there's his michelin starred restaurant in london can't remember the name of it right now but all of the all of the dishes he makes are just so dated it's unbelievable and that real like gigantic plate with like two things on them and then like squirted with some red unknown sauce on top <laughs> in a decorative line and then, you know, they'll have to try and talk to him while he's in the kitchen and he's, you know, freaking out at people and stuff like that. Great, great television. Um, but I don't know the photo of him nude with a shark, although I will I'll send Google it to you after the podcast. Yeah, you can Google that one, Craig. I think we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll wait and hear back from you. Tapley, would you cook for Mick McCarthy if the situation ever arose? Uh, I would. I, uh, he is a friend of mine. Do you know this story? I know that you've met him. I've met him once up close and personal, which was in work. Uh, I work for um, uh, an unnamed corporation who sponsor a stadium in Ireland. Let's just put it that way. And Mick McCarthy was in doing a, a Q&A and uh, it was post um, the actual journalists getting to interview him. So I and uh, a bunch of other employees were given the chance to have a bit of a lighter off the record conversation with, with Mick um when his bum was out of the bacon slicer as it were and he uh everyone asked him these sort of like what do you think of Troy Parrott what do you think of Jack Byrne or whatever and I sat right up the front because I wanted to get the first question in because we had to submit our questions beforehand and I obviously asked him who's your favorite Beatle (laughs) and his response was he didn't really know because he doesn't really like music that much but he said he would have to say out of all of them it would be Paul McCartney because he's because he's the only one who's left. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Wrong on so many levels. <laughs> yeah. Inaccurate, horrible. Uh, <laughs> also, doesn't like music that much. That's grim. So I guess he wouldn't, and I guess maybe you wouldn't either. If you if you had a spare six million dollars lying around, Tapley, would you spend it on Kurt Cobain's unplugged guitar? Wait, hang on. Sorry, think- trick question. You can't because someone else has already done that. That's maybe right. If you have the seven million there. Your man looking to turn a quick profit. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that that, that that it's all closed for business now. Uh, Kirk Cobain's famous 1959 Martin D18E. Hello, I don't know guitars. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. But uh, yeah, it was um, sold at the weekend, Craig. There'd been fevered interest in this one. And yeah, the winning bid of 6.10, 10,000, I guess, uh, from an Australian 6. businessman 10. called Peter Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six million and ten ten thousand. That's a very difficult number to read out because I don't think I've. It fucking is. There's usually an old hundred thousand in there as well to help you along, but nope, not in this case. Australian businessman Peter Friedman, who owns Rode Microphones, uh, he bid in person in Beverly Hills, seeing off competition from around the world. It makes sense so extravagant. Yeah, he was talking to PA News and he said he was scared shitless and shaking when the auctioneer's gavel dropped, uh, but he's proud to be able to use the guitar to support artists and is already thinking of what to do with it next. Um, what to do with it next? <laughs> like, frame it. Like, protect it. Don't fucking, like, well, he, bring it to the park. Yeah, he <laughs> says, I, I didn't even buy it for me. I paid for it, but I'm going to use it to highlight the plight of artists worldwide by touring it around. Then I'm going to sell it and use the dough for that as well later. So that's actually a nice sentiment, which you probably wouldn't expect to spring out of like a fucking Beverly Hills auction. Um, yeah, I don't know. Seems in keeping with Kurt's kind of vibe. But and that doesn't wishes. sound that, like, like I can't claim to know about Kurt Cobain's wishes, but touring it around and like you know, like then selling it on—that doesn't sound noble to me. Maybe I'm reading the whole thing wrong. 
I have to say the figure of it's 6.01 million is how I would say it, by the way, Dave. And I know we've talked a lot about football on this podcast already, but is that not just the most Arsene Wenger type bid <laughs> for, a, for a piece of rock and roll paraphernalia you've ever heard? Oh, so hang on, the, I mean, the, like, the someone... guitar's release clause was six million and... Uh... <laughs> it was triggered with the extra yeah. fucking 10 grand. I don't know. I mean, like, it, it does seem like yet another example of, like, Kirk Cobain's memories being fairly trampled on, no? I mean, like, like it's not like the guy turned around and said, I'm giving all this like money to charity or like no he like he's also spent lots of money i don't know it just strikes me as like i'm, I'm yeah. always bemused by, by 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 these things because you know i don't have six million dollars to spend on priceless art or artifacts so i i tend to regard these stories with like a the curiosity of someone who simply does not understand yeah i, I don't really get the it's a bit too morbid for me I, I i'm not sure it says in the actual story and i might be slightly wrong but i think this was a guitar that um francis being like lost in her divorce um, so Kurt Cobain's daughter um, had to part with it. Obviously, um, you know, kind of priceless family heirloom, you would assume, but now it's gone for $6.001 million. Uh, it's kind of ironic as well, because in that unplugged um, performance, Kurt's talking about buying like Lead Belly's guitar for, um, and he kind of says the big reveal is that it's going for like 500000 and everyone in the audience is like, oh my God, wow, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, inflation, folks. <laughs> he wanted David Geffen to buy it for him, yes. as if he hadn't he hadn't made David Geffen enough money, and he wouldn't spring for a measly half mil for this uh, yeah. definitely more valuable guitar in terms of a uh, if you were to take the guitarist or the player of the guitar out of the equation, this like whatever nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, whatever it was. I'm not sure when Lead Belly was in, in specifically performing, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a way more valuable piece. But yeah, inflation, you're right, Craig. And from what I hear about David Geffen, he probably should pay. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, moving, moving swiftly on. Uh, Tappy, you mentioned earlier on that you may put on a couple of pounds in lockdown, which, listen, I'm right there with you, my man. There's no shame in it whatsoever. Uh, how's your hygiene, though, is the question I want to ask. Because it, like, it's possible for us to kind of lose the run of ourselves. But uh, some people, some rock stars, some pop stars have maybe like stepped back a little bit. Miley Cyrus has given a new interview and she said that she's given up everything over the past six months, including showering regularly. Now, Tappy, I have I, no problem with you telling the listener that I've come to you before for hair washing advice. It has, in fact, been very helpful. You're a man who knows how to groom, and uh, I respect it. But yeah, you look good on this Zoom call, at least. You know, it looks like you're you're keeping things good. Thanks very much. I have grown a beard. Well, I'm saying this with uh, Engineer Adam on the Zoom call, and my beard pales in comparison to his, of course. Uh, also my hair, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, what a downgrade. But um, I, what, I, I can't remember giving you hair washing advice. That's, I think I was just that saying that. That does sound like, like something I would say. <laughs> if I recall correctly, your advice was like, wash it less or something. And I think you were like, yeah. you might be washing it too much. And I was like, well, I'll get out of town. Was he trying to get you to yeah. inadvertently get dreads? <laughs> no, it looked great. It was great. all very forward. It was all, I think I was just like unhappy with how it was all going or something. I don't, I, I've never had very long hair though. So you, you, you got shoulder length hair as long as I know you, Craig. You know, it's a regular facet of yours. We've talked about you shaving your head before and I feel like you were just taking the piss out of me because in the 10 years I've known you, it's never happened. It will happen one day. It could be this summer. It's very warm right now. Um, I would say <laughs> shoulder length, is it? A neck length, but... um, Neck length. <laughs> So scalp, how, length. <laughs> scalp length. Scalp length. 
So has lockdown affected anyone's hygiene? I think was Dave's initial question. <laughs> this was my this was my ham-fisted link to the Miley Cyrus news story that you have selected, Craig. So why don't you enlighten us all? Yeah, she says the only times she's washed her hair in the past four months have been um, for this interview she's talking in, and once for Sir Elton John. Um, oh, she interviewed Elton John for an IG live series. Apparently, it wasn't just because he he ordered her to do so. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really, I haven't really slipped into bad habits so much. I'm a big proponent of like cold showers and stuff like that. Like I enjoy showers, so it's just my daily whatever. You enjoy a cold shower? Yeah, yeah. Perks you right up. Is that not like fucking intense and horrible? And can I really last for for a couple of seconds? Um, I think finishing off with a blast of cold water does wonders for number one, uh, the skin closes up those pores at the end and also i remember when i was trying to grow my hair real long i found this um sort of guide uh, as to how you should maintain it and they uh, suggested that as as close to um rain sort of temperature uh as possible is is the best way to go but i don't know it's nice to have a nice little steamy shower isn't it wash away the day Rain <laughs> temperature is amazing. <laughs> Rain temperature, cold. So, it's got to be a song title. Okay, so apart from looking after hygiene and that stuff, did anybody stay up real late over the weekend to watch the Donald Trump rally when he went to Tulsa? There's been it made a lot of big news because it didn't go very well, Craig. Did it? It was kind of like a an awkward an awkward projection, like not selling out the three arena when you think you've got it like locked down, and all of a sudden, oh fuck, no one's coming. Yeah, I mean, of course, I stayed up for it, Dave. Um, if we're talking about bracing experiences that will get you pumped, um, all on board. I did not catch it, but I heard those numbers and they were stark, as you say. Um, so he was claiming that um, there'd been around about a million people registering to kind of get tickets uh, to go to it. In the end, he spoke in front of about 6,200 supporters. Um Organisers were forced to close an overflow area outside and it turns out it was all down to those pesky K-pop fans online who were just registering, making themselves a nuisance and generally being awesome. Yeah, see, I, I, I rail against stands all the time and kind of, you know, fans who kind of have slightly obsessive behaviour, but this seemed to be a force for good. Uh, it appears that it was like some kind of weird data breach, some kind of like amazing manipulation of the, the ticketing system in order to make Trump look terrible. And in the end, my favourite detail about all this, by the way, was that um, he failed to sell out an arena that Nickelback had previously sold out with no problems. And I'm sure they delivered just as impressive uh, a fucking performance. I've seen Nickelback live, by the way, and I'm not saying I would recommend it, but I'm not saying I wouldn't recommend it either because uh, I got hammered and I enjoyed myself, which I can't imagine would be the same at a Trump rally. Either. I think it'd be fucking horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, sorry, on this Zoom call, Craig just basically gave me the shrug emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Try anything once, mate. <laughs> I jest, I jest. I did love the photos of uh, Donald Trump stepping off the presidential helicopter or whatever it's called with his tie undone, you know, around his neck. Pathetic sort of uh, drunk after a Debs having to walk home because he can't get a taxi from Dungarvan sort of vibe. <laughs> Oh man, those photographs were magnificent. They're like, again, like uh, I'm still in my job for the last few days here and it's like, we have access to like a photo archive and Trump is like, like, it, like there's just so many photographs of him available. There's so many photographs of him taken every single day and some genuinely amazing ones. And when I saw those on Sunday, 
I was just like, this is incredible. Because, like, they're just so low res and it's dark and he looks miserable. And it's like he's coming home trying not to wake up his dad or something. It's just like, for fuck's sake, this is so, so funny. Uh, but listen, from one elder American statesman icon to another, it's time for our album review. It's time for a young, up-and-coming 79-year-old man to show us what he's got with his rough and rowdy ways. It is, of course, Bob Dylan. Here's a track. I'm giving myself to you I am From Salt Lake City to Birmingham From East L.A. to San Antonio I don't think I could bear to live my life alone My eyes light A shooting star. It looks at nothing. Okay, Craig. Who on earth is this Bob Dylan character? <laughs> uh, Bob Dylan is. Um, I guess when people call someone the new Dylan, he's the old Dylan they're referring to. Um, so I think there's been, you know, reference that just even in the last week with Phoebe Bridgers talking about how she, when she was 12 or 13, uh, she was like, I'm going to be the next Bob Dylan. Um, just a fair enough aim for anyone. Bob Dylan now is, as you said, Dave, like a 79-year-old man from Minnesota. Uh, he used to have something of a professional rivalry with Donovan in the 60s. He's um, been gigging ever since. Good with words. Won a Nobel Prize. Um, and yeah, this is his first album of like original material in about eight years. His last three records have seen him kind of dip into the great American song songbook. It's been his like Sinatra period, really. Um, which I think most fans or even just casual listeners would probably think isn't the best use of his time. But actually, I think in this new record, Rough and Ready Ways, you can hear him pick up a few tricks uh, along the way. His voice is sounding great. It's his 39th studio album. Um, It's already uh, being heralded as a masterpiece. Um, It's it's no real spoiler in a lot of um, different camps. But even as people are kind of praising, you know, praising him to the hilt, there's some like awkward interpretations. And it's that thing of like, he's such a towering artist and he's kind of invented this genre. It's like, how do we even begin to tackle this review and judge him against contemporaries, modern music himself? Over to you, boys. (laughs) Uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, like, I'm very much a Dylan novice. I would always cite him as being one of those artists where I'm like, there's just so much. And because I didn't really kind of organically find my way there, despite having friends who were big time into Dylan over the years and would, and would recommend stuff. And I, it, it was never never too far away from hearing him if I wanted to. But I do find myself feeling quite intimidated. Hence, David Tapley is here. Now, David Tapley, before we get into your kind of connection, relationship, opinion thereof, can you please describe the album artwork for me? Because all I see is like a weird Twin Peaks scene that got cut. I can't even begin to properly make sense of it. And for so, for such a heralded artist, what the fuck happened? Yeah, I will gladly get into this. So I, d- I think Dylan has, um, he's no stranger to surreal. And I don't mean that in an artistic sense. I mean, surreal in a, you see the artwork and you're like, what? Is that correct? Like it, it's got, so for people who haven't seen it, it's basically a, a clearly colorized black and white photo of people dancing, someone leaning over a jukebox. But then it has the, the like black letterbox lines at the top and bottom because it's not a square photograph, which is the sort of thing that you would either zoom into or something. It just looks like a mistake. Um, but that's 
kind of how he's been doing things for a while. Not really, he's never really worried about making mistakes, and that's kind of uh, one for me. One of his uh, the the big appeals of of, of someone like Bob Dylan. Um, he's also famous for uh, terrible fonts, and I think this album is yeah no stranger to that either. So it is a photograph taken uh, in 1964 by a photographer named Ian Berry, who's now an 86-year-old British photographer. Um, uh, All of uh, Berry's photographs are owned by the, or are, I guess, licensed by the Magnum Photos Archive. Um, And from what I can gather, Dylan was flicking through this one day and found this particular photograph, which was taken in a... uh, nightclub or a dance hall or whatever in Whitechapel in London um, when Barry was doing a photo um, essay or a, um, a photo piece on black culture in England in the early 1960s. Um, Dylan has used photographs from this particular archive before so I'm wondering if he's got a subscription to this website. Um, he's, he used a he used a photograph by Bruce Davidson for his uh, 2009 album Together Through Life, which is, a, again, a black and white photograph of a couple kissing in the uh, the backseat of a car. Um, and I believe he's also taken some artwork from this uh, archive for his Christmas album as well, Christmas in the Heart, which is an absolute banger. Um, there was a Rolling Stone interview with Ian Berry, uh, which is kind of funny. He says uh, he doesn't remember what sort of music the couple was dancing to the moment he uh, when he captured the moment on film, but he does remember being drawn to the woman. Uh, in quotation marks, I've always been very into women. He says I've been married three times. The lady had a good figure, and I liked the juxtaposition with the jukebox. After about fifteen or twenty minutes of taking photographs, the patrons in the club had enough of the camera wielding stranger. There were crates of beer bottles near the entrance, and people started throwing beer bottles at me, so I left. He says, it's something that happens a lot to photographers in different parts of the world, but I think it's the only time it's ever happened to me in England. Um, he also goes on to say that uh, he's not actually a big Bob Dylan fan, um, but his wife is, so she was very, uh, she was more enthusiastic than he was. Um, he says he's never really listened to Dylan aside from the song It Ain't Me Babe a couple times, um, and they're sort of more her records than his Um and he says, he finishes it off the interview by saying, I like the sort of singers where I can actually hear the words. People like Joan Armatrading or Joan Baez. So a little bit of shade thrown at Dylan there uh, at the nice. end. But, um, uh, thank you. That was very, that was very educational. So I guess a kind of a three-part question for you to, to kind of get into this, this whole thing. Where does Dylan rank for you in the pantheon of artists? How do you approach this album, you know, 2020 Bob Dylan record, first in eight years? And how does it kind of deliver for you? after getting beyond all that kind of preamble, I suppose? Um, for me, I would say Dylan rates in the elite tier. Uh, I'm not going to put a, as you know, Dave, I won't put a number on this. Um, uh, like I won't score this record out of 10, but um, he, yeah, he's, 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 he's a founding father, I think, in terms of a lot of the musical truths that I have uh, come to learn about. Um, he is often compared and contrasted to Neil Young. It's kind of a, not that they were in competition like the Stones and the Beatles were or whatever, but people seem to tend to be Neil Young-centric or Dylan-centric or whatever. I think that's kind of stupid. You can hold both uh, fandoms equally, which I would say I do. Uh, Neil Young is another um, uh, absolute master. Um, 
that uh, also had an album out last week. Um, uh, the second question was... Well, how do you how do you approach this record? Because, I mean, I have to assume it lands with a, an awful lot of yeah. expectation. Yeah, um, so I've been, a, I've been a, a gigantic fan of his since... I, I can't remember when, but I would have been equally as hyped for his um, his previous record of original material, which was called Tempest, that came out eight years ago. And um, that didn't deliver quite as, as well as this one did. I, 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 I definitely tried quite hard with it. And while there is some uh, definite highlights on that uh, album Tempest... I can immediately see songs from this album that are going to become, you know, live staples uh, if live music ever happens again. Um, you know, if in, in 50 years time they're going to come out with, you know, Bob Dylan, the 100th anniversary of Bob Dylan's birth or uh, death or whatever, I can see songs from this album being uh, pride of place at the end of or towards the end of of a uh, of a greatest hits more so than the tunes of tempest so i don't know i it, it's it it's a tough one to kind of to brace yourself for because like i said he is a kind of a strange character he's not he's not a uh, unfamiliar to um i don't know some sort of bogey lyrics and and weird sort of like on that tempest record there's a like 9 minute long song that's all about the Titanic. And, you know, people were talking about this beforehand and I was really hyped for that. And then when you stick it on and listen to it, you realise it's actually about the film Titanic because he keeps referencing Leo and Kate and stuff. <laughs> so he is, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a strange man in, 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 in some He's a prankster is what you're saying. He's a merry prankster for sure. Um, so did this, um, like, like in terms of like, I guess maybe it's too early to kind of say where it is in the canon, but I mean, like having spent a week with it now, I guess, does it live up to your own kind of personal hype? Because as you say, you're clearly quite influenced, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think it lives up to the hype. But I mean, I the, the reviews kind of came in the day before, maybe two days before the I was able to listen to the record. And there was lots of nines, lots of tens, lots of five-star reviews and stuff. And that was surprising. Um, the, off the back of the singles, like the singles were um, Murder Most Fell, False Prophet, and I Contain Multitudes. The singles were, were really good. Um, I just uh, w- was quite surprised to see modern music critics um, kind of fawning over this record um, in the way that they were but this was obviously before I had heard it and I kind of and I, th- I, I got more excited about this review as I was listening to it because I, I would have had we been re- back in 2012 reviewing this Tempest record I would have been fully uh, accepting of all criticism, all negative reviews, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I do think this is a a really brilliant album, and I'm not saying this is the first Bob Dylan album you've ever heard, Dave. But it's it's definitely a good one to have uh, had to dive into as much as I'm sure you did in the last week pre- uh, preparing for this review. Um, it's dense. There's lots of lyrics. You know, it's it's there's there's a lot of imagery and a lot of, um you know, sort of thematic study in this record that I don't think you really see with a lot of music these days. It's it's a kind of, a, um, Bob Dylan doesn't seem to be the sort of person who uh, interacts with 
modern culture in a way that he goes after trends or 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 um kind of copies what's what's happening or or, or plays by the the rule book of the time so it, it is interesting to see in in the sort of modern musical landscape that we're in right now dylan doing this record that um love it or hate it is is completely different to what a 2020 album seems to be um for the most part of course what I'll say is, hush little children, you'll understand. The Beatles are coming, they're going to hold your hand. Put your head out the window, let the good times roll. There's a party going on behind the grassy knoll. Five stars, 10 out of 10, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> that was a tiny little snippet that- from Murder Most Fell. That's so good. I was, I kind of, yeah, I got very excited when this 17 minute song came out and I'm still listening to it all the way through. It's really working for me, first of all. On that note of that particular lyric you, you read out, it's very funny to hear um, all those allusions to the JFK assassination, as I'm sure you guys know, something I feel very strongly about um, with theories and, and, and whatnot. Um, just in general, you're like, just you're still general, outraged. You know? All these years on, what um, happened? They Isn't blew it? the brains <laughs> out of the, they blew out the brains of the king, you know, Um you got unpaid debts. We've come to collect. We're going to kill you with hatred without any respect. We'll mock you and we'll shock you and we'll put it in your face. Is there anything you notice about those lyrics? The pronouns are always plural. Bob Dylan rejects the findings of the Warren report. There were multiple shooters. Oh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> the grassy knoll is mentioned. Wolf Ma- I, I did see a, a genius, um, genius.com uh, annotation or whatever the day of the release of this which was a, a beautiful uh, conspiracy theory which was he references um wolfman jack who was a dj in the in the 1960s and uh whatever the lyric is wolfman a wolfman and the uh, genius annotation was that uh, george hw bush's nickname was the timber wolf he was also the head of the cia at the time uh, <laughs> and he had jfk assassinated for his uh, collusion with the the mafia and Cuba and all this sort of stuff so yeah it's good to see Dylan dipping his toe into the JFK yeah. territory that I've wanted but is that to not, is, is that not kind of strange territory though because I mean like yeah like this is the last track in the record Burnham as well it runs for approximately or just close to 17 minutes um even when it came out of course a lot of people were kind of making the gag they were like okay this is just kind of a bizarre subject matter now in 2020 I mean like it's not that anyone doesn't have the right but like why didn't he do this 40 50 years ago you know it just seems like an interesting kind of time period to put it out in or to, or to come to this he's like, had a lot of fucking do you just see the oliver stone movie like i mean like, like what happened well, well that think- literally could have happened given that the the um tempest song about uh <laughs> about the titanic. the titanic you might have just sit down to watch jfk yeah yeah he's slightly um, behind which i love but i think i yeah, think he's working um, through dvds he's using that point as a jumping off point and i think it's it's no coincidence that it ties in quite neatly with the start of his own career and the sense that like that JFK assassination was this kind of you know the start of something awful happening maybe to if not humanity then certainly America which is like his great kind of subject matter uh it's his great love I guess all of his songs in some way seem to kind of breathe life into American history and like steer the narrative somehow and I think that's such a really nice way of tying in how popular culture worked as a kind of bam or lullaby for people that were going through tough times and it's conflicted it's kind of you know you, you we were saying earlier like yeah oh, he's the trickster he's you know he's the joker man it's an actual font that arose out of that but he really is even like the album cover you're kind of not quite sure if he's serious about it 
Um, and I think that adds a lot of depth to the stuff he does. Uh, like there was a Paul Simon quote where he, he used to say, um, you know, my voice, my singing voice can only be sincere. I've tried to be ironic. I can't do it. Whereas with Dylan, everything has two meanings. And like, he, it's basically him saying, I wish I could do that. And that is Dylan. Like when, when we say, you know, oh, the new Dylan, there can't really be a new Dylan. And it's not because there's only one Bob Dylan. It's because there's so many. Like he's really tough to pin down. He wears so many different masks. Um, So I don't really see this album as like people might try and paint it as, okay, it's a rough time for the world. Is he kind of looking at the state of um, society as he kind of gets older and he's kind of dealing with mortality? I think he's always done that. But this time around, he feels it might be his most generous work in a long time, I think. I think the first couple of tracks, he's kind of self-mythologizing, but also giving some stuff away. Um, And there's kind of allusions to the artistic process for him where he opens up like my own version of you, which is kind of like this vaudevillian playful thing, I think is a really good kind of look back at how he's kind of subsumed different influences and used old trad songs and used literary references and tried to make something new, uh, tried to create something for the listener and it's kind of the relationship with the fans. That was my read anyway. So he feels quite like in generous mood. Um, It's like a real conversation this time, which I think isn't always the case with Dylan. I do, yeah, I, I agree with you totally there, Craig. Uh, describing it as as generous is a a really apt way of 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 talking about this record. I think for I don't know if this is something he's done often, but it's an extremely self referential record. Uh, might be something that you would be really attuned with, Dave. But um, there's so many little ref and there always was references to like classic blues and folk music but there's a lot of references to his own music and his own sort of uh mythology um and all this stuff around him I don't know if it's like I I was thinking about this and you you mentioned that you thought the um the album cover kind of looked like something from Twin Peaks which I agree it, it it definitely does and him and I do see him and David Lynch being uh definitely two people I would invite around for dinner for sure um it reminded me a lot of the sort of that, you know, five hour long Twin Peaks revisited uh, the meaning of this thing or whatever. It does seem like it's it's bursting with all these kind of nods to his his previous work. Like, for example, on this is just one, one of the kind of weirder ones that I had found or whatever on, on, the, on the opening track, I Contain Multitudes. He says, I live on a boulevard of crime, which could just seem like a sort of noir-y, um, you know, kind of sexy lyric for for any other singer. But if you if you look deep enough, if you if you look for the the meaning, it's there. So the Boulevard du Crime was the name given to the Boulevard du Temple, a famous theatrical part of Paris. It is also the setting of uh, Marcel Carnet's film Children of Paradise. And this particular film, which is about a um, uh, what's the person who does that? What do you call them? Uh, mime. A mime. It's um, it's a, f- a film about a mime who has white face paint and that particular film gave inspiration for Bob Dylan to paint his face white on the Rolling Thunder tour in, in 1975 that was um, documented and released on Netflix there uh, last year or whatever. So there's tons of this sort of stuff, even um, on previously mentioned on, on, on Murder Most Fell, there's just a single line in it where he says, wait a minute, boys. And the first time I heard that, I just thought of this one's not dead with the exact same intonation uh, of a lyric from the song Hurricane. So 
maybe it's one of these things that all, a lot of this stuff is for the fans. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think any of these things uh, ruin anyone who wouldn't see these little uh, tidbits in it. I don't think anyone would see these as uh, uh, ruining their enjoyment of it, but definitely it, it tickled me pink a couple of times um, when I when I found some of those bits. Which is a good enough jump point for me because, I mean, like, listen, I mean, like, ultimately this did unlock early as an enjoyable experience for me, but it very much a surface level thing. I don't have the the reference points. I don't have the kind of meta narrative that obviously you and, and Craig would have. But I, it didn't, you know, it didn't affect my enjoyment. But I just clarify as well with regards to the Twin Peaks reference. Uh, I'm talking about that scene specifically taking place in the room above the convenience store. Like that's where <laughs> that's going down, which adds an extra layer of terror to the whole thing. Oh. Um, but speaking of terror, though, I mean, like in a week in which I've been playing The Last of Us 2 quite a lot, uh, like taking breaks from The Last of Us 2 to listen to a 70 minute Bob Dylan album doesn't necessarily seem like the kind of thing you want to do on paper. But the more I listen to it, the more I find myself actually welcoming it and being like, oh, OK, well, this is slightly more it's slightly less miserable. <laughs> like it's, uh, but, but I don't know. I mean, like it's, I, I think it'll be a while before I can kind of understand what the lyrics fully mean. I do feel very, very out of my depth when it comes to discussing Bob Dylan, but on a, on a straightforward 10 track, do I enjoy this? The answer is absolutely yes. I particularly enjoyed how it sounded a bit more kind of, I guess, up-tempo country at times than I was expecting. Like I kind of thought it would have been very kind of grounded and I like the fact that without doing a ton in terms of the arrangements it did manage to kind of move and take me places and I could feel you know I could like, like I could feel the ground that he was kind of walking on and, and I could step into the kind of I suppose the the personification and the aesthetic of what he's putting together uh, and even like you know a lot of these tracks are quite long um like but but they don't feel exhausting they don't feel too kind of drawn out there's a like there's a obviously a very very deliberate pace here but i was kind of attuned to it and as i say it was when i found myself getting beyond the prospect of like okay i have to, i have to listen to this now for 70 minutes i was like oh oh it's just kind of going by like i mean it's just kind of there and i'm able to kind of concentrate on other things but also stay tuned to his frequency so again listen like i'm fully aware that i'm quite useless as a bob dylan reviewer but the fact that in 2020 uh, coming to this record kind of without having listened to him in so so long and being like oh, I don't know and coming away from it being like no no this is really really fucking good is a win for me <laughs> like, like uh, I don't know how edifying that is but that's really that's really good to hear actually um and yeah like we you know I think it's telling that we spent a long time talking about all the ephemera and everything and the myth around them and his personality and his lyrics and not getting totally into the music but uh, I think his backing band do a great job here. Just kind of, they know exactly, you know, what he needs and maybe more importantly, what he doesn't need. Uh, everything's quite stripped back and it's, you know, tastefully augmented. Uh, there's some kind of like ghostly cello. There's like slow motion accordion. Um, it's a really good um, aesthetic for him. I think it works quite well. And the songs are, um, they're just kind of played in a way that lets you know that he's been doing these kind of songs for his entire life and he's completely like digested them a million times. And these are like the distilled versions of, you know, the kind of Delta Blue thing he likes to do or the kind of more country thing he likes to do. And I was wondering for you, Dave, like on some of those tracks, when you actually listen to them, they sound a bit like they can almost sound slightly like genre exercises or some of the blues riffs are kind of like, I've kind of heard this melody a bit before, which is Dylan does that a lot. But I thought as a fan, it was interesting that, 
you know, if he's a dude that wears lots of different masks, this felt like I'm picking his favorite kind of masks and doing, okay, I'm doing the, you know, the definitive kind of sketch of this and I'm going to apply my lyrics, my kind of cosmic, heavily weighted lyrics to this form that I know so well. So as a fan, that kind of worked really well for me. And yeah, overall, like I would have been happy with Murder Most Fell just being added to the kind of canon. Um, but I think there's a few kind of classics, um, as Tappy was saying. Uh, Key West just struck me in the gut straight away. Uh, it's just a mesmerizing song. Um, Mother of Muses is beautiful. Uh, I Can Tell Tain Multitudes is great. There's a couple of songs maybe crossing the Rubicon, some of the other ones that are just maybe slightly mannered. They could have been a bit rougher and rowdier. Um, but overall, it's it's a great collection. Yeah, I mean, it, with that regard, like the one thing I can say is that it it met my expectations of what a, of what a Bob Dylan album would sound like. You know, it it didn't feel like a revelatory, aural situation or anything, but it did also feel like someone who was very much kind of refining it, or I guess picking the best, the very best available from what he has, uh, and kind of someone who's clearly on great form. So for me, it's a seven point five. Tapley's obviously giving it no rating whatsoever because the man doesn't do it. But overall, you were happy, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, very happy. Um, one of the things that I kind of uh, heard very quickly on this record is that it seems like while he is um, yeah, putting those different hats of, of his career back on, it does seem like he has found something new. And I, I think it might even just simply be the the generosity or the, the, the sort of lyrical content. But um, he said in an interview the, specifically for the song, I Contain Multitudes, but I think this applies throughout the entire record, he said, I Contain Multitudes is, is more like trance writing. Well, it's not more like trance writing. It is trance writing. It's the way I actually feel about things. It's my identity and I'm not going to question it. I am in no position to. Every line has a particular purpose. Somewhere in the universe, those three names, uh, the names Anne Frank, um, Indiana Jones and the Rolling Stones, which he puts together in a neat little package. He says, um, somewhere in the universe, those three names must have paid the price for what they represent and they're locked together and I can hardly explain that why or where or how but those are the facts that doesn't seem to be applicable to a lot of Dylan albums in between his classic period and now a lot of the songs he had struggled over and uh, a lot of the albums kind of did seem laboured especially in the 1980s um, it does seem like he's got some sort of 1960s mercurial mojo back and uh, yeah I loved hearing him just sort of create this vibe that he seemed very comfortable doing and yeah. that will be my rating i'll give it vibe out of 10 vibe out of 10 yeah it's the freewheeling bob dylan he's back uh 8.5 for me really enjoyed it all right the album is rough and rowdy ways it's out now go check out the artwork don't miss that of course uh we'll pivot now into our top five which would be an extended top five this week technically 15 songs coming up craig we talked about this. We talked about long songs. Yeah. And initially, we kind of disagreed on what constitutes a long song. So we're going well, 10 minutes or more. Yeah, it was me just kind of very nearly playing myself. Because I was saying, for context, that, you know, time is a construct. It's a flat circle. It's all relative. Certain bands that kind of produce lots of three-minute pop songs, for them, like a six-minute song is like a, an odyssey, an epic. Um, so I was kind of maybe petitioning for it to be lowered, but I'm glad uh, we stuck to 10 because this was a really tough one. It was. It always is. And let's just yeah. dive the fuck in, shall we? We'll kick off with my number five.
some nice screaming for everyone to enjoy there. That is, of course, the amazing Deaf Heaven. And the song is The Pecan Tree. It's the closing track on their 2013, some would say masterpiece, Sunbather. A very pitchfork-friendly band, of course. The hipster black metal band Du Jour. And yeah, like this was, of course, we say this every week, we say, oh, it's hard to get down to five. And it really, really was. At one stage, my shortlist was closer to 20 songs. I've tried really, really hard with my top five to not, like, to, to limit myself to one post-rock track. And I don't think that this counts as a post-rock track, so this is not the one. Um, and nobody can come at me. It's not a post-rock track. Not it's pre-rock, Dave. It's not pre-rock. <laughs> Uh, Deaf Heaven, of course, are kind of strange, I guess, like I say, pitchfork indie darlings to a degree in terms of what they do. Some people fucking despise them. I absolutely adore them. It's one of my great regrets that I have not seen them live. Apparently they played an amazing Whelan show a few years ago. Uh, this record kind of crossed over uh, to a degree, and it's, for anyone who doesn't know before, I, I guess a lot of people kind of have given out about their frontman's voice, and they're just like, I can't stand... George Clark's vocals, I, like, like it's just not for me. The music itself is obviously very like in that kind of you know post rocky kind of black metal vein, and it all works for me. Uh, this track, I think, in the case of certainly my tracks, probably you guys as well, it's tough to just break it down to a thirty to forty five second clip because I've I've mostly kind of picked the crescendo moments um, in these songs to kind of avoid the idea of like just kind of a loopy section because that's kind of what you get but i do find that with these tracks and generally with a really really good long song what it should do is provide a huge fucking build up and give you an amazing cathartic crescendo release and that is unquestionably what i get from this i can't remember where you land on death heaven are you like not impressed at all or are they kind of your your thing you know uh no i loved sunbather um used to play it a lot in the hot press office it's good it's good working music which is weird um it just kind of becomes like glorious white noise but when you concentrate on it it sounds good too but i've i've been kind of incurious when it comes to deaf heaven so outside of that album i've heard bits and bobs uh but haven't really been following them all that closely um but yeah no this is a nice choice Uh, i'm all on board with this um my number five um is kind of post-rocky it sounds a bit like post-rock That was Peace with Delicious 1998, which is kind of um, their take on uh, Binary Finery, was it? That kind of trance song from the 90s that was a big hit. Um, I don't really have much to say about this one. It was just like a gut kind of inclusion. Uh, speaking of the Hot Press Office, this was played quite a lot then. Um, I was thinking you would have the post-rock quota kind of sewn up and taken care of, Dave. Um, and I was kind of going down a very classic rock path with my list for a while. But actually, um, on the eve of this podcast um, being recorded, I made some drastic changes just based on kind of being honest with myself and going, okay, would I actually listen to all of these tracks the whole way through every single time? And it it totally ticks that box for me. Uh, It's a great build, as you say. It's kind of like a less po-faced Foles 
which I'm always here for. And having slagged kind of new rave uh, in recent weeks um, and it just being a terrible subgenre, I do think we have that to thank for Peace approaching um, a kind of a dance track and updating it and actually doing it well. But yeah, I've got nothing much to say about the band. I think they're from Birmingham. They had a kind of pretty nice, uh, if, um, you know very referential and um you know wearing its influences on a sleeve debut and hey, then they're kind of be, faded they're gonna be the next big thing any day of the week now right yeah yeah we'll always <laughs> have we this told. though um and i'll now let tappy cut in on the the post-rock chat at this point oh i have i don't think any of my the songs i have on my list are <laughs> even remotely considered post-rock but yeah it was definitely something i when i was kind of doing my research it came up a lot, a lot of a lot of uh, sort of uh, Genesis, proggy, long uh, theatrical prog rock, and lots of post rock. Uh, two genres I've never been massively into, but uh, one song that did immediately come to mind when I kind of think of what a long song is is my number five, which goes a little something like this. Yeah, that's the song Maggot Brain off the album Maggot Brain by Funkadelic from 1971. Um, it basically is a 10 minute long song of this beautiful psychedelic guitar solo played by Eddie Hazel um, that he recorded in one take while on LSD. Um, the song opens up with a kind of spooky uh, spoken word piece by the band leader George Clinton um and yeah just one of these songs that i was like it has to be in every conversation when discussing long songs because it it is incredibly long uh for what it is there's these three or four sad chords that play over and over again and just this beautiful despondent psychedelic guitar solo if those words can be put together uh somehow but yeah, uh, apparently in the studio, George Clinton told Eddie Hazel to play like he had been just like he had just been told his mother had died, and to contemplate all the things he would be uh, contemplating in that situation. So yeah, a sad guitar solo. Yeah, it sounds like, like it. this, this was in my um, this was in my list right up until the death as well. And I tried to be clever and be like, we'll probably do like instrumentals in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's stunning. It's stunning. It's like um, I've been kind of revisiting it uh, the last couple of nights. And yeah, it's incredible to think it was one take. Um, yeah. But I guess the combination of the LSD, um, him thinking about the death of his mother. And yeah, it's just it, the guitar just kind of weeps. It's very like Hendrix-like, I guess. Um, but it even brings it beyond the likes of, you know, uh, Voodoo Child and stuff like that for me. Um, folk, funkadelic, so good. And also those underlying chords... It, are totally nude by Radiohead, right? I feel like that's the Something's, same progression. It is very Radiohead-y. Either yeah. that or like a Wolf at the Door, one of these sort of yeah, um, yeah. Uh, mid to early noughties, early to mid noughties sort of Radiohead thing. But uh, yeah, I love it. It's just such a mood. Um, 
Well, I guess, Dave. you know, in contrast, I'm often accused of kind of my musical taste skewing to a more modern kind of sensibilities. One, a friend of the show, Joshua Hughes, has said before, like, Dave just doesn't listen to music past 1990 or before 1990 or whatever. And I'm like, 84. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> 84, okay. <laughs> that's a ridiculous accusation. And so for my number four in this list, here's a song from two years ago. Darko, the closing track from Let's Eat Grandma's second album, I'm All Ears. Let's Eat Grandma are a musical duo from the UK uh, who you can't read a fucking review of these guys without seeing, like, they're so young, but they had their first album out when they were like 17 or something. Um, so that's going to wear off pretty quickly if it hasn't already. Uh, the duo of, I think it's Rosa Walton and Jenny Hollingworth, uh, they played Lecture Picnic last year on a small side stage and it was an absolute pleasure to see them. This is the closing track, like I say, from their sophomore record, a record that got uh, a lot of great critical notices and has the likes of Farris from The Horrors and so Sophie on the production on a couple of tracks as well, but it's very like, you know, it's 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 extremely close to art school uh, pop music, you know, like there's a certain layer of pretension with them. And even when you see them on stage, their kind of mannerisms is there as well. But the fucking tracks are absolutely brilliant. And Donnie Darko, I thought, was this amazing kind of odyssey that closes the record quite well. It's about almost 11 and a half minutes long. Um, references, of course, the uh, infamous Jake Gyllenhaal breakthrough film of around about 2001, a film that I absolutely loved when I was a teenager. I thought it was like the most revolutionary shit ever. And then when I went to see it in like the lighthouse a few years ago on a rescreening, I was like, nah, it's not that good at all, actually is it It hasn't aged all that well and maybe i'm just in a different place now but this song takes me to a different place every time and i think it's a fucking incredible incredible ethereal pop belter that also is not (laughs) post-rock we're very proud of you dave (laughs) i'm kind of vaguely familiar with this but i need to revisit because uh, yeah that album just from a few listens didn't strike me in the way it did seemingly everyone else so i'm gonna go back this weekend and give it another try based on that pick Based on that pick. Uh, okay, my number four uh, is my singer-songwriter corner. Uh, Sufjan was in the mix. Um, Joanna Newsome. It's just like so much to choose from. Um, that rhymes. Uh, but I went with uh, <laughs> Jeff Tweedy and his band Wilco. This is how I tell it. Oh, but it's long One Sunday morning Oh, yeah, that was One Sunday Morning song for Jane Smiley's boyfriend. Uh, it's taken from Wilco's 2011 album, The Whole Love. And it's like 12 minutes long. It's deceptively sleepy. I think it's a bit slept on. Um, but it's great. It's one of those ones where... It's like little vignettes of verses, this beautiful kind of hushed melody just repeating. 
and really like incisive lyrics. It's kind of it's a it's a father son um story um about the son's kind of lack of faith and the father's fears that he'll you know be eternally damned to hell or whatever and that is the the gist of it but it's just very moving it's kind of quietly devastating uh it's my favorite wilco song they're not even a band i've i haven't gone like full wilco ever although i have a huge amount of respect for for their stuff um but this is right up there and it's just it's a masterpiece in economy which is a weird thing to say about like a 12 minute song but it's just every verse there's not a kind of word wasted and never kind of drains on you stays fresh and it does like it's obviously coming from some like you know dylan stuff uh dylan didn't make my list because i thought we were probably going to talk enough about him but it's totally that school of like slightly cosmic and freewheeling and just um you know going wild with the imagery so yeah it's one sunday morning it's a whispery lovely lovely song recording Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, things that didn't make lists or whatever, I should note, of course, we had a top five recently. It was album closes, I believe, and I picked Jane Doe by Converge, which, of course, is my favourite song. That song is about 11 and a half minutes long. I have disqualified it from this list on the grounds of repetition. So, you know, I felt it'd be a bit weird to just throw it back in again. So that's not coming. So that's a spoiler for my next three. But Tapley, what is your number four? Um, my number four is the... Uh musician we were discussing today on our uh, album review which is Bob Dylan's Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands Where the sad-eyed prophets say that no man comes Now Yeah, so speaking of closing songs there, Dave, this is uh, the closer from the album Blonde on Blonde, which was released in 1966. Um, In classic Dylan fashion, it was written at 6pm and recorded later that night at 4am, so leaving no no time for messing around there. It was written for his uh, wife, Sarah Loans. Notice the similarity to Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. Um... He sings uh, later in on the album Desire, there's a song called Sarah, which is also for her after they had split up, that he stayed up for days in the Chelsea Hotel writing Sad-Eyed Ladies, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands for you, um, which is not true because he wrote it in the studio in uh, a matter of hours. But uh, yeah, it's such a beautiful song, kind of classic early period Dylan where he's got that, you know, the, the kind of classic whiny nasal um intonation that people know and uh love and hate him for um one of the things i really like anecdotally about this song is that the band were so unfamiliar with it because it was so new that uh this was one of the first takes that they used for the album cut and every time they got to the chorus after chorus two they assumed it was going to be the last chorus um (laughs) not realising that, in fact, it is 11 minutes and 23 seconds long. So every single time they hit a subsequent chorus, um, there's this beautiful reaching quality to the band's performance that uh, is the, them trying to sort of be more impactful and more emotional uh, and, and and reach for something uh, at that little bit greater than the chorus before. And uh, that segment that we just heard there is from the final chorus, um, where 
Bob kind of finally really breaks through his um, love for this sad-eyed lady. Yeah, having just said that, like, you know, I'll steer clear of Dylan because there's a lot of Dylan this week and I'll go for, like, a Dylan Acolytes in Wilco. I'm now regretting <laughs> my choices listening to this and then Maggot Brain because, um, no, they're all great songs. But, yeah, those two are, are very, very on point. Love it. Is this the case that you, uh, did you psych yourself out, Craig, as you often do? You're like, I wonder if Dave will pick this. Were you like, I, I wonder if Tappy will pick these now? Like, like, have you been completely boxed in and, and, and destroyed by this top five? I'm like a rat in a cage. Oh, okay. <laughs> is your next tune Smashing Pumpkins? <laughs> so no, uh, my next tune, which is up now, is something kind of different um, and kind of involves, I suppose, like, it's an instrument that I'm not necessarily, like, always wowed by, but this was an instance where I kind of just, like, stopped and was just completely mesmerized. So Ukulele. Adam. <laughs> it's not a ukulele. The instrument there is the uh, 12 string acoustic guitar which ordinarily wouldn't be my poor to call i'm not a guitarist i'm a drummer and uh, i envy guitarists though of course you know like it seems like a terrifically complex instrument to play in this situation that guitar is being played by a man called john butler who is part of the john butler trio an australian kind of roots rock outfit that i again wouldn't be terribly familiar with either but this is a song called ocean and I may be wrong on this one, but I understand that there might be like lots of different versions of this song out there. This version in particular is the 2012 studio version. So if you go onto YouTube and search John Butler 2012 studio version Ocean, you'll get a video for, you know, about 12 minutes of him in a studio. And it's just one bloke and his guitar and a couple of pedals or whatever. And I'm just like, it's one of those things that I saw and I was like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. I can't do that. How does he do it? And that section there is like when it goes, especially kind of like busy and animated and very tremolo kind of heavy is just like his hand is moving so fast, the speed of what he's doing. I don't know how he does it. It looks like magic. It's incredible. The build, like the build is well earned. That's about like nine minutes into the track. So uh, are either of you familiar with this guy or even like the style of, uh, 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 of guitar that's being played here? Because to me, like I say, I'm just looking at like jaw on the floor like how the fuck is this possible yeah john butler trio were always one of those sort of muso bands for me i never really dipped into them too much but uh, a couple of friends of mine were real into him for a while i think he played a show in whelan's yonks ago that i never went to that a bunch of my mates went to but uh, i thought it when it started playing there i thought it was tommy emmanuel don't know if you're familiar with him but similar school of guitar playing uh guitar playing sort of being the centerpiece of a song rather than um lyrical or, or or whatever um but yeah no not not familiar with that song at all but um thank you but here's the question yeah. though i guess like at what point is this like 
like not feel like showing off, you know, because it's clear you're like, I'm a fucking virtuoso. Look how good I am. And yet I'm like, yeah, man, you're amazing. (laughs) It's ever so slightly masturbatory, but he's encouraging other people to join in. So I guess that's a good thing. If people are up for it, Dave, you're certainly up for it. And uh, I was I was kind of surprised by this choice because it doesn't seem like in your what's normally in your wheelhouse. Um but yeah, it sounds stirring. He contains um, multitudes, Craig. He contains multitudes. He very multitudes. much does. Yeah, he very much does. Um, I I knew of the name, but I think I always steered clear because I'm wary of people that have bands and then name the band after themselves. It's kind of like a Dave Matthews band situation. So maybe I'll check them out. All right, what's my wrong number with the Dave Matthews band, Craig? Sorry, do you have a problem with them? Or <laughs> Greatest American band of all time, I know. Um, <laughs> mine... <laughs> It's where I am. Um, my number three choice was nearly ruined for me by the aforementioned Andrew Hosier Byrne. But alas, no. Oh, cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Where you gonna run to? All on that day, will I run to the rock? Please hide me and run to the rock. Please hide me and run to the rock. Yeah, that's Nina crying power there, <laughs> like in a few more <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Nina Simone, uh, of course, Sinner Man. She's a great voice, isn't she? <laughs> really what a good. fucking song. What a song. I know. Incredible. It's, it's incredible. Um, there's so many kind of moving parts to it. It doesn't feel like a kind of long song. I always think of like kind of, it's like cinematic or something. I'm thinking of like scanning aerial shots or I don't know. Every time I put it on, it's like you're being airdropped into the song and I have to listen the whole way through. First time I ever heard it, and I think I came to it quite late because it feels like it's been, you know, used by everyone or it's been in ads or, you know, sampled, of course. Uh, Talib Kweli's Get By. Um, Kanye did a great job with it. But it was like it, upstairs in uh, HMV, Henry Street, now gone. And I was like, what is this? I was just about to leave and I came on and I stayed for the, the duration um, I always love those moments. And did a yeah, salesperson yeah. did a salesperson put a pair of headphones on you at the time? Like, <laughs> you have to stay. <laughs> Hang on, sorry. You mentioned um, your life. You mentioned cinematic there, and obviously we've we've already referenced Twin Peaks. You've seen the Inland Empire, right? Because this yeah, plays over of the course, end credits. Yeah. And again, yeah. like you're not leaving. You're watching the whole fucking thing. Yeah, it's like you know, its uh, power can't be diminished through you know being used multiple times. It's like fresh every time. I'm envious of this pick, Craig. I have to say, I d- it didn't. Uh, crop up in my researching i don't know how you guys went about um finding songs that you had already known but didn't realize were over 10 minutes long um spotify has a very annoying feature that you can sort by everything in your uh whatever you call it uh library except for duration yeah uh, which would have made things a lot easier for me but had i realized that um Tinnerman is over 10 minutes that definitely would have been in my top five, raging about that one now. But uh, moving on to my number three, that goes a little bit something like this. Please remove your spurs. Come to think of it, remove your antlers. Haven't seen you for ages. I still fly into rages at the mention of your name, Christine. Why? should have put fucking money i should have put money on yeah. dan behar appearing in a tappy list how did i not see it coming of course that is bay of pigs detail 
the closing track, another closing track of uh, 2011's Kaput by the band Destroyer. Um, there is actually a version of this on the Ravers EP that's over 13 minutes, but I didn't go for that one because it has an extra two minutes at the end, which is just the start of the song playing again. Don't know, must be a mistake on someone <laughs> mastering engineer's uh, head there. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't have much to say about this one. It's just, uh, of all the tunes I picked, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say what I was about to say. There. I was going to say it's it's probably the most sort of sonic masterpiece of them all, but I'm saving that one. Um, <laughs> I do like that it takes, it, it, it's a, it comes on a, a, a double vinyl uh, release, Kaput does, and this takes up one of an entire side of, of one of the two records, which I always like when that happens. And it also contains the lyric, I was 20 years old in 1992, and when I saw him performing this song in London a couple of years back, I could visibly see like a bunch of people in the crowd being like, he's 20 years old in 1992, it means he was born and carry the one, and just trying to figure out how old he was. <laughs> I think he was 45 at the time or something. So that one was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love this. He's like a kind of custom built artist for these long and languid, like vamping songs, of course, because he can just can go forever. Um, he's captivating. He's brilliant. It's a great choice. I'm envious of this one. But will you be envious of my silver medal this week? That's right. Did somebody order some post-rock? It is, of course, Explosions in the Sky from Texas. The song is, uh, a deep breath here, with tired eyes, tired minds, tired souls, we slept. It is the closing track. They're all closers so far for me, uh, apart from the ocean one. Uh, the album is from 2001. It's called Those Who Tell the Truth Shall Die, Those Who Tell the Truth Shall Live Forever. Now, of course, listen, Explosions in the Sky, of course, the very... Uh, like I suppose obvious maybe like a hipster thing I don't know like I mean the whole post-rock thing they are the, one of the most associated sided bands ever but for a reason I like I don't really see anyone who does it better than these guys uh, I adore almost everything that they do this is from an earlier record if for whatever reason you've never heard Explosions before check out the first few albums they're just incredibly incredibly talented at, at this genre of music and i will say as well i've said it before on the show but like it, it's been such a pleasure again to go back to this this leaf, uh, this week and kind of live through it again because weeks before shutdown they played vicar street it was one of i've seen them like about five times now maybe uh maybe the best time i've seen them certainly up there with it i think they closed with this and if i recall correctly the noise was so loud, I was like, I think my head's about to explode in a good way. <laughs> but I was just like, it was like that kind of like my buddy Valentine Mogwai gig of just like, oh my God, the noise levels are fucking out of control. Like, this is a barrage. It's like fucking colors flying through the audience. 
I adore this band so, so much. And when I limited myself to one post-rock song, as of course I have done here in my top five, as we know, it wasn't going to be anybody else. It couldn't possibly be. Yeah, I I expected this to crop up. Maybe not this particular song, but, you know, of that ilk. And yeah, you delivered. Um, Certainly delivered. <laughs> That's what I do, Craig. You sound very unimpressed. <laughs> no, it's clearly great. Like, I just don't know what to say. The music is bigger than any description or, like, anecdote I can add to it. Let's just put it that way. I will too say for fail. my... Too big to fail. <laughs> I will say for my number two, you couldn't really, I don't think, get to post-rock without these guys. Now, I did have an urge to go, like, full classic 70s rock. I, I left off the likes of Zeppelin. There's no Achilles Last Dance. There's no, like, Deep Purple, uh, Child in Time. There's these guys. You were caught in the crossfire The childhood Blown on the steel Please Come on, you target For faraway laughter Come on, you stranger You legend You martyr and child That tone from Gilmore. <laughs> that tone. Pink Floyd. It's Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Um, I believe that's part seven, maybe. There's a part one to five that's like 13 minutes long. There's a part six to nine that's like 12 minutes long. There's a snappy like 13 minute combined version. It's all very, very good. Um, I am actually one of those people that might be like, I, I probably could have picked Dark Side of the Moon as like overrated albums. I never really got into it. I don't know like a huge amount of their stuff, but for some reason, this album, Wish You Were Here, like clicked with me immediately years ago. I think it's the best thing they've done. And this is like the kind of central, you know, masterpiece. It's just, it's so good to kind of sink into. Um, It's like this nine part composition, but it's like the subject matter as well is, um pretty pretty intense so it's if people don't know it's written about their original frontman um kind of the guy that gave them their name Sid Barrett who they dropped around about 1968 after one album um after he had I guess one too many acid trips and it would seem I don't know that he had kind of like underlying uh issues as well and basically he just kind of he essentially lost his mind he was in a bad way he kind of lived the rest of his life as a recluse the band drafted in Dave Gilmore to who was actually a friend of his just to kind of play his parts because he would turn up at shows and not really know what's going on and not be able to play his guitar and eventually they kind of they tried to get him some help and then they just started like they just started gigging without him and not picking him up and that was that um just really really sad sad kind of story um of him burning out but this is such an amazing kind of tribute to him and actually they recorded this around about 1975 and it's the story goes it sounds kind of apocryphal but I, I don't know that as they were recording it they hadn't seen Sid in about um at least four or five years and he just like rocked up at the studio as they were recording this tribute to him and he was like, you know, extremely overweight. He was bald. His eyebrows were kind of gone. He wasn't making much sense. And it took them a, wh- a while to realize, oh, this was like their old kind of beautiful friend. And um, he kind of just, yeah, then left after some time with them. Um, didn't pass much comment on the music. And that was like the last they ever saw of him. Um, so it's really heartbreaking stuff. But I think this is like totally transcendent. It's amazing tribute to him. And they, yeah, they're totally in debt to him. I think he kind of expanded the horizons and it led to this kind of stuff. I know Pink Floyd kind of become maybe a bit of a joke in terms of prog and, 
you know, um, I don't know, another Sid, Sid Vicious would have been like, oh yeah, around when Punk was kicking off, okay, Pink Floyd are the enemy and we need to destroy this kind of ambitious, you know, um, pretentious music. I think they went there, but at this point they were just right. And this is like Sublime. Yeah, it's an amazing. One of the highlights uh, of their career, for sure, especially that guitar solo was is something to be uh, to be very proud of, Dave Gilmore, who is an Arsenal fan, as we all know. Um, despite <laughs> them using the sound of the Anfield crowd singing You'll Never Walk Alone over some song off metal, I think, or Omagoma or something like that. Yeah, anyway, massive point moving, moving swiftly on. Uh my number two, this is my this is the, the sonic masterpiece, I think, of my uh of my picks. And it goes something like this. Yeah, number two for Wilco, second pick and uh, second time they're appearing on the the fifteen. Um, this is Spider's Kid Smoke, which is off the album A Ghost Is Born from two thousand and four. Um, I could have picked Hallow Gallo by Noi, uh, awesome instead song. of this. So good, but I do think that Hallow Gallo walked, so Spider's Kid Smoke could yeah. run. Um, it's just got, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a real exploration, this song. It's a like surreal lyrics. It's got that kind of motoric drum beat, the Krautrock inspiration. And then that chorus that we heard there, it's just like goes full Neil Young for a second, proper crazy horse, garage rock. And, uh, the whole song is kind of marked with these guitar solos, little guitar solos from Jeff Tweedy, who, um, this was just after the departure of, um, previous guitarist Jay Bennett now uh, since passed on um, to the great gig in the sky um, so it was a, <laughs> a chance nice. for, for, for Tweedy to um, show off his, his lead guitar chops for, for a hot minute because then uh, well Nels Klein kind of came in and, and did the rest um, there's an interesting anecdote of this song um, in Jeff Tweedy's autobiography Let's Go So We Can Get Back um, where he talks about uh, the, the one take that this song was captured in, um, it was around the time he was coming off an, uh, an addiction to painkillers that he developed while he was using painkillers to treat his uh, chronic migraine problem. And uh, the quote goes, Spider's Kid Smoke is another recording where I feel like you can hear my condition pretty clearly. Because of its length, getting a great full take felt unlikely uh, with the window of my ability to remain upright closing fast. So we we restructured the song to be as minimal as possible with the fewest number of chord changes. This allowed me to just recite the lyrics and punctuate them with guitar scronks and scribbles to get through the song without having to concentrate past my headache too much. We attempted two takes and take one is the one on the record. Take two was incomplete. So we almost didn't get that song. And uh, yeah, it feels like a real achievement and a real sort of uh, flagpole at the top of the mountain for Jeff Tweedy overcoming a, a real tough addiction and uh, a tough time in his career as well, I think. 
Skronks and Scribbles sounds like a cartoon geo that never was or something. And I think also with, with regards to the, the lovely sentiment of the never-ending great big gig in the sky, the great big drive-in gig in the sky, I think my number one choice it does feel like it belongs in the clouds. It, it feels like it belongs in some, some, some other kind of world. And I, I swear it's not post-rock. I swear. So that is Lower Your Eyelids to Die with the Sun by M83, taken from the flawless album Before the Dawn Heals Us from 2005. Wikipedia describes it as a 10-minute ambient post-rock oh, sure, uh, <laughs> I- instrumental characterized by monolithic arrangements of choral singers and spacious drums. It's more of a dream pop situation. Don't fucking at me, you know? Like, And again, you know, you think epic, you think long songs. M83 obviously come to mind long before Anthony Gonzalez turned the project into something less, I suppose, wonderful and flawless and perfect with his horrible 80s pastiche bollocks he was doing the last few years. Uh, The kind of ambient record that he put out last year is genuinely worth a shot, though. But again, listen, I bang on enough about M83. I think it speaks for itself. It's a genuine moment of musical transcendence. If you've never heard before The Dawn Heals Us by M83, it's time to listen to it. I still maintain that there's some decent stuff on that. What is it, Junk album? Was it literally called Junk? It was called Junk, yeah. There's about three or four tracks that are okay. I can see what you're saying, though. He went very pastiche and very 80s. It's just the difference. It's like what you had in those first few records up to this point, And it's like, yeah, it was yeah, this yeah. the same artist? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, what disappeared down a weird rabbit hole. Okay, let's disappear down another weird rabbit hole. Uh, I'm going to have to find space on my um, forthcoming top five of songs about Jewish mysticism for this. Um, so, spoilers. Here it is. That was the best song by David Bowie. <laughs> station wow. to station. I think so. Probably if <laughs> this, I have to pick one. This was one. called. This was called. By the way, on Twitter. Oh, of course. It was a Mark. This was Mark called. Conroy? It was Mark yeah, Conroy. Yeah. Mark Conroy was like, we all know Craig's going to pick station to station, but it's like, <laughs> I was like, okay, because it's the brilliant. correct answer to this particular question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an opener, not a closer. Um, from the sa- the album of the same name. Uh, it's just incredible. Uh, it does have that kind of motoric noi influence as well in there. Uh, I think it's a real kind of crossover moment for him when he's like mi- ditching the, you know, white boy funk and soul of uh, young Americans and moving into the territory that will be the Berlin albums. Um, and yeah, I've seen it like it was written on um, 
I think Pushing Ahead of the Dame is the name of the blog, which just kind of goes into Bowie songs in extreme depth. Um, the way they kind of talked about this song was like, if you were to draft a map of Bowie's complete works, uh, this is like plotted somewhere near the margins and would be marked here he went no further. So it's just like, for all his kind of like experimentalism and adventurism, this was kind of like as far as he took it. And then everything else was just kind of extrapolating on on those experiments. Um, but yeah, like it's, it doesn't sound like it's fun to listen to the way I'm describing it, but it is. It's just like, it's got weird, it's like a weird prog disco thing. Um, it's very different moving parts. It's like this lumbering thing and then it just takes off completely. Um, elements of Craftwork, Tangerine Dream. Um, it's this whole kind of treatise on like all the occult stuff he was into at the time. It's like, you know, the debut of the Tin White Duke. He couldn't remember recording this or the album whatsoever. It's a really interesting time in his life. Sounds horrific for him, um, but sounds um, really, really good when you're not involved in that situation. You have a very interesting sort of relationship with this song because I didn't hear, I've been a big Bowie fan for the longest time and I just didn't hear this song for years and I never went to this album I never bothered putting it on because I always thought it was ashes to ashes I always mixed up station to station uh and ashes to ashes and I never bothered to go there until we were Tan and Felix the band that I'm in uh we're uh, going to play a gig in Galway and um our drummer Neil Dexter also of the band Spies friends of the podcast he put station to station on and I just, it was just like, it's like finding, I don't know, an old shirt in a wardrobe that you didn't even know. Well, you didn't even know it existed in the first place. So I have a similar story with, I uh, had up until very recently never seen a Michael Mann film because I thought Michael Mann and Michael Bay were the same people. It's <laughs> incredible. I was like, I'd never bothered watching Heat because I was like, it's just going to be this like crap or whatever. So yeah, maybe I should... Um, yeah, never judge a book by its director cover that looks like its cover, I think. Um, so this uh, leaves it up to me for my uh, golden medal as um, the greatest long song over 10 minutes. The album version of this song is under 10 minutes, but the CD version is over 10 minutes. And I have written in my notes, if this isn't on Dave or Craig's list, I will eat my hat. Wow. So I will have to purchase a hat and eat it. <laughs> this is my number one. title track of the album Marky Moon by Television is my number one song coming in at 10 minutes and 40 seconds on the CD version <laughs> I don't want to hear people on Twitter getting technical on this there is a version of it that is over 10 minutes long and I think possibly the vinyl version is like 9 minutes and 50 seconds so let's just I'll take a moment here um well, like what a ridiculous song to have on your debut record it's one of the most like realized sounds of all time 1977 the height of like a very sort of ideological fight in the music industry or the music world about punk versus like thoughtful sort of um 
uh, like you're saying, Pink Floyd, proggy sort of stuff. This somehow fits somewhere in between. It's like jazzy and thoughtful, yet at the same time, it's really gnarly and punky. And yeah, it's got it's got a little bit of everything. Um, it was done in one take that the producer, whose name is, uh, I have it written here somewhere, Richard, not Richard Lloyd, what's his name? Andy Johns, uh, thought it was a rehearsal when they started playing it and they just bang the whole thing out and he was like that was wow that was amazing um (laughs) they had a kind of a strange working relationship with him because he was like real old school rock and roll sort of guy assumed that recording sessions started at noon producer turns up two hours late guitarist turns up two hours after that but television seemed to be the sort of band who whilst being in this post-punk sort of scene took things very seriously had a sort of a, a work ethic about them that kind of wasn't really a part of the rock and roll lifestyle but it kind of you can I think you can kind of hear that in 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 the work it's it's got these perfect guitar solos that don't sound too like Clapton but don't sound too like you know noisy nonsense um we all like a bit of noisy nonsense from time to time but we also like some you know, Tom Verlaine, Mixolydian oh, yeah. jazz guitar solos. So, so crisp. That's it for me. I am like, shocked. I am shocked this I is know. not on either of your lists. It's in my top 10. It's like objectively perfect as music goes. Those du- like dueling guitars, as you say, it's not even like a dueling thing. It's just so intricate and great. Yeah, I've, I've worn that album out. Um, it's so, so good. And they were a real oddity in that scene at the time. One of those weird things where... They released the second album, Adventure, I believe it's called. I've never heard it. I think, like, I read some review of Marky Moon years ago, and, they, like, it was just so dismissive of what came after that I was like, oh, maybe I don't need to check it out. But by all accounts, it's great, so I'll have to... Is this is through. this the record that came out in the 90s or possibly No, later? I think it was, like, a pretty quick follow-up, but it's just never okay. discussed. Maybe I'm wrong, but, yeah, I believe they released other stuff that just was, like, slightly less perfect. <laughs> so people were just like, let's move on. Um, they do have... Yeah. the. They do have a comeback record after a long hiatus, which is really good, but yeah, often under uh, or overlooked, should I say. Um, yeah, an interesting man for sure. Yeah. God bless you both for getting into the pub back and forth when we're two hours into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, epic episode, gentlemen. I think we can all agree on that one. And this epic episode was, of course, engineered by Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan, who has the patience of a saint, if I may say so myself. Patreon.com slash Encore if you want to support the show. David Tapley, Tandem Felix, great to have you back. Quick question for you. Is yep. there uh, an upcoming, do we have another Bandcamp day coming up? Is that is that is that happening or what's the story? I'm not sure. We've, in terms of like, we've, you know, artists getting bumper, all of the money. We've, yeah, we've done some bumper sales that we've donated to charity. Uh, donated about 500 euros to uh, Women's Aid. And we donated something similar to um, Massey, the Movement of Asylum Seekers Ireland. Um, so if there is something coming up, I haven't seen it yet, but we will hopefully try and sell some stuff well, even if there isn't of course people can always head on to Tannen Felix's Bandcamp page and support you there and listen to you on all their places request that you're you know played more on radio as well because Tannen Felix are great so that's the most important thing is there coasters available now as well did I see that was the rom-com coasters yes there are now rom-com coasters or, well I wouldn't news. say coasters that uh, suggest something 
much more uh, like cork or uh, pine based. These are like beer mats, I would say. There are yeah. Tandem Felix beer mats available. <laughs> Hop on. Closing the show in the other listening corner, I'll fly through mine. I've listened to lots of other things this week. Mushroom Head dropped a new album called A Wonderful Life, which is good, not great. Phoebe Bridgers put out Punisher, which is very, very good. Yeah. Uh, there's been some singles released. Alva Reddy has a new song out called Time Difference, which is worth checking out. Sinead White put out a single a few weeks ago called The World Stop Spinning, which is excellent, which I've only kind of really been catching up on now. Dermot Kennedy dropped a new one called Giants, which is good. Deftones White Pony turned 20, so of course I was binging that over the weekend. The wonderful Hamilton Lighthouser did an NPR Tony Desk concert along with his family, which if you're looking for something to distract you from the ills of the world, this is good for the soul. And also good for the soul, something I've very much been enjoying is Craig's 10-track replacements playlist, which I've oh, have very you? much great. enjoyed Enjoy dipping this. into. Yeah, it's been great. I've loved it, man. Well done. Great work. What Brilliant. have you been listening to? I'm very happy. Well, I'm kind of reluctant to say Steely Dan, of course, because this has been a long podcast and we could get into the weeds about it. Um, Royal Scam <laughs> is my current obsession I've also got very obsessed with watching other people on YouTube react to Steely Dan for the first time because okay. it's such a joy okay. moment <laughs> yeah they're yeah. amazing videos yeah so good incredible band maybe the best American band of all time I'm coming around to it better than OEM um, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm I'm happy to see you getting on this uh, on this journey Craig it's, it's, a, it's a weird and wonderful world um, I have been listening to the new Neil Young album, new in inverted commas, homegrown. Uh, it was a shelved album from 1970 odd. Not sure when, around the time of On the Beach and stuff. Um, it's really good. It's like a cool to hear a sort of a, you know, Dylan come out with a brand new album of original material and Neil Young come out with a brand old uh, album of original material. Uh, one of the other things I forgot to plug or whatever is that for people who may be kind of stop uh, at 1975 with Bob Dylan. I have made a uh, Dylan Spotify playlist of stuff from the kind of past 20 years, around the time he started producing his own records under the name Jack Frost. Um, so I'll put that on Twitter somewhere if people want to awesome. get into crusty old Dylan. Uh, we'll put that out on our Twitter as well, of course, yeah. on our own individual Twitters. Thank you very good. much. And yeah, epic episode. Loved it. Hope it was good. Hope you enjoyed it. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been an encore. There will be an encore back next week and we'll try and keep it to an hour and a half this time. Bye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Summer vacation, here we come. Yep, I packed the craft beers I got at Total Wine. Did you remember a bathing suit? No, but I did pack a bunch of summer wines. Whites, rosés, Zinfandels. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.